the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, my friends. You know, the central theme of AA is built on the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Listen to Jesus' response when asked what the most important of all the commandments of God was. I quote him, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. End quote. Mark twelve twenty nine to 31. Steps 1 through 3 help us admit our powerlessness and step into the power God makes available by surrendering our lives and our will to him. These three steps bring us serenity with God. And serenity with God is based on love. God's love for us, and our responsive love for God. Steps four through seven help us stop blaming others or excusing ourselves, review our failures, take ownership of those failures, and then ask God to remove those failures, those sins, those character flaws. These four steps bring us serenity with self. And serenity with self is based on love. God's love for us and our responsive love for God, which produces love for self. Steps 8 through 10 help us review the effects of our failures and flaws in the lives of other people. Step 8 was review time, getting ready and becoming willing to make amends. Today, step 9 is about making amends. And it will go a long way in bringing us serenity with other people. And serenity with other people is based on love. God's love for us and our responsive love for God, which produces love for self and also love for others. I pray that we will take this incredibly challenging and rewarding step nine. And as we embark on how this is done, Please join me in praying the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as we would have it trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Understanding Step 9. Here's the step. We made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Arguably, the best treatment facility in America for addiction issues is the Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation. 
There are currently 16 facilities around the country, including two in New York. I was involved in the facility in Center City, Minnesota, and helped get several people into their treatment program while pastoring a church in the Minneapolis area. I learned a great deal from members of their staff. One was the importance of understanding what amends truly means. In the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, as interpreted by Hazleton Betty Ford, we read, quote, Often during discussions about the ninth step, one hears about individuals who make amends by making apologies. Apologies are certainly sometimes called for, but apologies are not amends. Amends are made by acting differently, end of quote. Example, I can apologize a hundred times to Carolyn after coming home late for dinner. These apologies will not amend my lateness. To make amends to her, I must come home on time, or better yet, early. Amends is not a set of words. Amends is a change of behavior. But there's even more to amends than this. While it is admirable to confess our failures and change our way, to only do that would be like the story of the Midwest farmer who came up out of the storm cellar to find his home ruined. Yet to his wife, who was still in the cellar, he remarked, I don't see anything that is a matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? It is good that the wind stopped blowing. But the truth is, the home also has to be rebuilt. Step nine is about cleaning up the messes we've left behind. Step nine is what we do after we have become sober. Step nine is what we do after we have turned our life and our will over to God. Step nine is what we do after we have confessed our sin. Step nine is what we do after we have stopped our negative behavior. Step nine is about rebuilding what we have broken down. Step nine is accomplished by both changing our ways and repairing the damage caused by our old ways. It happened several times during my childhood. Our summer cottage was damaged by the spring floods in the creek that ran through the property. We didn't cause the flooding, and there was nothing we could do to keep it from happening. But we still had to clean up the mess and replace the 40-foot bridge that gave us access to our cottage. And each time it happened, it cost us money, it cost us sweat, it cost us time to make things right again. For the alcoholic and for the sinner, it is important to note that we are often a major part of the flooding. We have been the cause of damage that's been done, and others have had to clean up after us before, before we even realize that we have been the problem. Step eight has helped us assess the flood damage we have done to other people. Step nine is doing our part to clean up the debris, rebuild what we've damaged, and deal with the past wreckage that others had to clean up and rebuild because of us. Step nine is a significant part of the biblical plan for wholeness in our lives, and tragically it is so challenging and so infrequently taught in today's church that it is often ignored completely. Jesus was always clear that our love for and worship of God was a priority, but he was equally clear, as we have heard in our text read today earlier, 
that when the believer realizes that he or she has wronged someone, they are to stop their worship and make right the wrong they have done to another. Then, and only then, can authentic and God-honoring worship take place. Listen again to what Jesus said. If you enter your place of worship and, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Step 9 is about making things right with other people. Step 9 is what I call the other side of forgiveness. The side of forgiveness that we are most familiar with is the giving of its side. God has given forgiveness to us through the love and sacrifice of his son, Jesus. We can choose to give forgiveness to those who have wronged us, and we do. And sometimes forgiveness is difficult to give. The pain we have felt, the sometimes irreversible consequences are overwhelming. It is no small or easy matter to forgive. It truly takes God with us and God in us to forgive. The other side of forgiveness is when we have done the wrong. Confession is God's way for us. But it is still difficult. It takes courage, and it is humbling. Forgiveness, if it is given, is wonderful to receive. Step nine is about being responsible for what we have done, whether or not we have been forgiven. We must still deal with the damage we have caused, the debt that we owe, the reputation we have tarnished or destroyed, and so forth. Step nine is about making amends, or what the Bible also calls restitution. So how do I work step nine? The survey of the damage we've caused, the list of people we have injured, is the work of step eight. So now we take our relationship inventory in hand and begin our step nine work of actually making our amends. There are three things I want to raise in this essential step. The first, making direct amends to such people. In a society where even the guilty will declare themselves not guilty, it is clear that making direct amends is against the flow of our culture. And there are three typical delaying tactics that stall this process. The first, excuses. The reality is the issue here is fear. We are fearful of the consequences of direct amends. The second, procrastination. The time isn't right is one thing, but I'm not right is another. And that usually is what drives us to procrastination in not making amends. And three, the feeling of let bygones be bygones. You know, we deflect by saying that all that really matters is our present behavior as long as the wind has stopped blowing, so to speak. It is also true that just anonymously paying back what we have stolen or destroyed would satisfy the notion of justice, but more than justice is required. And very rarely is it only monetary damage that has been done. We are called to make direct amends. And note the many texts in the Step 8 sermon. Making direct amends means face to face. I'll give you a personal example. 
This happened before I was a Christian. It's an interesting story. She was my date for senior skip day. We'd been dating for about six months. I left her at the party so I could be with another girl whom I took home and dated for the last month of high school. I realized I had to face the girl girl I had jilted. She was a good girl. She was a nice girl, a wonderful girl. I really liked her, but I had to face her. I had jilted her. I had to humble myself. I had to admit my failure. I had to admit there was nothing I could say or do to undo the behavior I had done. And I had to be willing to accept the consequences. And these things were not done until my 20th high school reunion. I think you could say I procrastinated a long time. Making amends intends to accomplish a number of things in our lives. Listen to how the people at Hazleton describe this, and I quote, Step nine is to help us gain humility, honesty, and courage. And that means we need to go directly to the people we have harmed, make direct restitution, and directly admit our wrongs. Directness serves a purpose beyond justice, end of quote. Note that it is not unusual for relationships to improve markedly when direct amends are made. There's a second thing, making direct amends to such people wherever possible. You know, there are some circumstances where direct amends are not possible. We don't know where those people are. Perhaps they or we no longer live in the area, or the person has died. In these cases, there are indirect amends to safely satisfy our responsibility to make things right. Perhaps a phone call, an email, a letter. But those must be thoroughly planned and prepared for. If the person has died, a debt can be paid to a survivor. Or if no survivors are known, it can be paid to a charity in that person's name. Direct amends can also be paid through prayer. Example. A young man in California had been very mean and rebellious to his father, and then his father died suddenly. Some years later, he came into my office and I counseled him. I remember the anguish over all the pain he had caused his father, pain that he had never resolved with him. Indirect amends was taken by a letter written as a prayer to God, asking God to convey to his father the nature of his wrongs and the desire to make amends. Additionally, the son began counseling to correct that behavior that had caused the break in the relationship in the first place. Over the course of several weeks, the letter was written. We took it to the graveside where we read it aloud and then burned it and spread the ashes on the graveside. While there was a sense of relief and closure, the real work of that day was that he had been responsible to do what could be done to make amends, even indirectly. And third, making direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. There are situations where amends create more pain and suffering in the lives of others. This is an extremely delicate matter. Sometimes the personal pain and suffering of humility on the part of the offender is the real reason amends are not being made. Remember, when we, quote, managed, unquote, our lives, we were out of control. Our lives were actually unmanageable. So how can we really trust ourselves to make the right decision here? Only God can always be trusted. 
which is why we surrendered our life and our will to him, step three. So we must again turn to God and to the people of God in our community to make sure we are making the right decision. The participation of our community in making this decision is crucial. For those who are in recovery from addiction, I mean our recovery group or sponsor. For those in the church, I mean those in our small group, our mentor or our pastor. Good decisions are made in consultation with mature friends. Friends who not only have our back, but they also call us out when we are rationalizing our behavior and making excuses for not making things right. Some examples based on personal experience in previous churches. Two cases. Case number one. A young Christian couple was having difficulties in their relationship after just one year of marriage. I met with them together and separately. I soon discovered that the young woman had been sexually active for several years with multiple partners prior to their marriage and had since their wedding been with one of those previous men. She knew this was wrong. She said she really loved her husband and wanted to be faithful to him, and she was terribly ashamed. Her husband was only somewhat aware of her past and had no knowledge of the recent affair. I got her into counseling with a sexual addiction therapist, a woman who was also a Christian, which was a bonus. I also continued to meet with the two of them over the course of the next several months. After a year of therapy, the young woman came to me saying, if I'm going to have a completely honest and healthy marriage, I'm going to have to come clean with my failure. So we began to work step nine, especially noting what kind of injury this could cause her husband. And after several weeks of prayer and planning, I met with the two of them as she sought to make her amends. The initial response was predictable. I'm happy to tell you it's now been more than 30 years but the last I heard, they were doing well, were healthy, very happy together, and there were no secrets. Case two. A man had committed adultery. He was full of appropriate guilt and remorse, came to me to confess his sin and resurrender his life to Jesus Christ. It was wonderful. And over the course of the next several months, we met, basically worked the 12-step program together. I also got him connected with a group of men in the church, and he began to thrive. When we arrived at step eight, it was clear that his wife was the top of the list of people he had harmed, with a number of items, but specifically his secret affair. After much prayer, the Lord clearly revealed that his wife would not be able to deal with the pain and injury the direct amends could bring. Instead, the man confessed his failure and made amends through a proxy, one of the men in the group that had become a mentor to him. I lost touch with this couple after they all moved away. But at the time of their moving, the man was healthy, the marriage was strong, and Christ was being honored in each of their lives. A caution. There can be two very different responses to our making amends that we must be aware of and be prepared for. First, there's the overwhelmingly positive response that makes us sound like a hero because we've admitted our wrongdoing. People will sometimes say to a person confessing and seeking to make right the wrong they've done, no one's ever come back to me and apologized and own up to their behavior toward me before, ever. Our reaction to that response can build a sense of pride, and that will overwhelm any humility. Watch out. 
Our reaction to that response can also energize us to step too quickly into other amends and not wait for God's timing, which always must be best and first. For the alcoholic, our reaction to that response can also cause us to want to celebrate by having a drink. This is why it is so important to have good sobriety in hand before making step nine. And then there's the overwhelmingly negative response that totally rejects our attempt at amends. Things like, I hate what you did to me. I could never forgive you. You can't even begin to pay back what you owe me, and so forth. Without good sobriety in hand, our reaction to this response can drive us into depression and tempt us to drink again. And our reaction to this response can urge us not to make any any more amends ever to anyone about anything. Our reaction to this response can also lead us into shame, something that God has already brought us out of. The reality is we can only take care of the wreckage on our side of the street. We can't make another person accept our amends or forgive us. So, the question I have asked every week, do I need, in this case, step nine? I need step nine. To gain courage, courage to do all that God asks of me, for he asks me to make things right. I need, step nine, to gain humility. Humility with God by following him, and humility with others by telling the truth. I need, step nine, to gain integrity. Integrity to live out what I say I believe that Jesus is Lord, and as Lord, I do what he tells me in my life. And I need step nine to be obedient to God. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will stay with you forever. John fourteen fifteen through 16. Obedience is the proof, the validation of our love for God. And what were the commands of Jesus? Listen to him. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. John 13, 34 through 35. God asks me to surrender my life and my will to him. And he gives me the life of his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and a new family of others who are surrendering their lives and will to him as well. God asks me to honestly confess my failures, my flaws, my sin to him, and he gives me forgiveness, complete forgiveness. God asks me to love my neighbor as myself, and he gives me a new family to help and support me as one who loves others. These are trades God asks me to make with him. These are great trades. I give God my damaged life. He gives me Jesus. I give God my honest confession. He gives me complete forgiveness. I love others as God tells me to do. He gives me the Holy Spirit and a loving family to help and support me in loving others. These are great trades. No, no. These are incredible trades. Let us be willing to make each one of these trades with God. Let us make amends. Amen. Pray with me. 
Father, help us to listen to you, to love you, showing it by our obedience. Help us to not just assess the damages we have done, not simply be willing to make amends, but to actually make amends and thus make right our wrongs. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.